I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. All right, gentlemen, we are back at it again. So happy to see you, Jesse. And yeah, you too, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) And also and also you, Chris, and also with you. Hey, but before we go anywhere, I've been forgetting every week that we have to thank Vicki Delaney. Do you know what you remember why we have to thank Vicki Delaney? Well, she sent us cookies, right? Yeah, when you guys were here on campus, she sent me these two gigantic boxes of cookies and three or four entire pie crusts. I mean, like in the pan. That was one box to me, and I didn't share those with you because. Oh, you didn't. I know. I kept the pie crust to myself. (laughs) You kept the pie crust. I can actually eat four pie crusts by myself. I cannot eat three dozen cookies by myself. Big cookies too. So uh, thanks to Vicky for that. Super fan, Vicky Delaney. Thanks, Vicky. Yeah, but think of it this way, Jesse. Now Dennis has to go through the work of trying to take off those calories and pounds from all of the uh, pie crusts now that this new year is upon us. True enough. Yeah, and you left him some beer there too, right? Yes, and it is still in my refrigerator. Every time I open the door, I say, Chris, you have to come back and finish this beer, whatever it was called, Space Age Ale or something. And while, while we're at it, we do have a new Patreon supporter, so I, I'll we got to give our shout-out. So uh, I want to give a shout-out to Jimmy. If I pronounce your last name wrong, I am so sorry. Uh, Jimmy Visera, and uh, he's a new Patreon supporter. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. So, Jimmy, thank you so much for your support. Do you know him, Chris? And I do know him. Is that how you say his name? That's how I say it. Well, yeah. we're we're either both wrong or both right. Friend from Texas. Oh, excellent. And do you know both Vicky Delaney sending us cookies and Jimmy Vicera from Texas supporting us on Patreon? You know what this is a slight anticipate of what this anticipates, Chris? A slight anticipation of their perfected, generous souls. The mm. offertory? They're anticipating their uh, divinization. Yes. Their divinization. You got it. <laughs> Through our podcast? Yeah. Sometimes you don't yes. know where my segues are going, but um, yeah, definitely. Not, you're thinking this is just penitential, but no, this is uh, this is on the road to, uh, to godliness. Right. You know, in Lent, we have that third week where we get, uh, what's it called there, Chris or Jesse? That Late happy week. Oh, no, it's not the third week. That's in Edmund. Yeah. Yeah. It's fourth week, I think. Laetari. Yeah. Laetari's in Lent. That's where we get to uh, be freed from our extreme... Lenten penances. So, oh, I thought that was just the next uh, system after Atari came out. I thought Latari was the next one. You've never even seen an Atari. Man, yeah, I've played kid. an Atari. See, another we opportunity for Michael one. to play crickets in the background. Those jokes <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, Latari. Uh, well, what do we got? We're going to talk about divinization, and we're not going to talk about the general instruction in the Roman Missal, at least for one podcast. Yeah, talk but about it's all related in the end of the day, right? Yeah. And it's your what New Year's resolution, Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, my resolution, uh, and I've had many over the past, and they've not really worked. So I decided I'm going to go big this year. My New Year's resolution for 2022 is to become God. Wow. Hello? Are there crickets are we gonna, Yeah, are we going to add crickets again to that? That's a bold, that a bold statement, you know? You know, I thought about that once, and then I got... 
hit by lightning and turned into a pillar of salt. So, <laughs> yeah. What do you wow. mean by this? That, I like it. I like that one. Well, let me tell you, this, this is how this idea came to my mind. Um, uh, besides the fact that the other ones, you know, about uh, losing weight and whatnot and being a better person, you know, all that stuff doesn't seem to work. But one of the things I tried to get done over this last uh, Christmas season was at least read those patristic readings from the Office of Readings. So in the Liturgy of the Hours, Jesse, we just recorded an online class. I was just going to say, was that your homework for your <laughs> class that you were teaching? No, part of it, part of it. Is it true that that was the best online class of 2022? <laughs> I think it was, well, yes. But consequently, since it was the only one, it was also the worst of 2022 anyway, so far. So anyway, answer, so, so in the Liturgy of the Hours, you have this one of the hours called Matins or Office of Readings, and it has Psalms and it has a longer uh, scripture reading, but then it has this patristic reading or ecclesial reading, some document or something like that. And so I tried to read those over Advent and Lent, and there was... Uh, this theme that Dennis was talking about of divinization, or sometimes it's called a theosis, is scattered all over these pages. That what the um, what really the point of Christmas is is not you know to to watch It's a Wonderful Life or Elf or you know sing your sing Christmas uh, hymns or watch movies whatnot. It's about becoming God. Yeah, and you know that famous line from Elf. They say, "Hope you find your dad." Oh, that's perfect. That's actually about divinization, isn't it? Hope you become your dad. Dennis, I used to say that to you every day leaving work. I know. Hope you find your dad. Then I would say my dad's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you know, Dennis, I had, you know, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, and I don't know if you're like me, but in, I, it seems to be like a, an Achilles heel of the Western church that talk about becoming God or becoming godlike. Make, it makes me a little bit nervous. Um, but uh, there, there's this scripture passage about hope you find your dad that I think, as far as I can tell, is really uh, the foundation for this thing called divinization. And this comes from the high priestly prayer of Christ at the Last Supper, where he says, just in brief, uh, he prays that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So it's this abiding with the Father through the Son, animated by this uh, divine life of the Spirit that transforms and changes, or what we call divinizes us, to make us uh, become uh, sharers in the divine nature. Yes. And, you know, in the ancient world, this was not all that uncommon. And like the Roman, the God, certain humans would become gods, and gods would interact with humans, and it would, it would be called the apotheosis, right? So you would become... God's essence. You would become essentially a God, like a competitive God, which is why theosis is a very different thing, that it assumes that people from the beginning were made this way to share in the life of God so fully that you could say you're almost inseparable from God's gift of self to you. You know, in the parallel, right, the father gives everything he has to the son and the son returns it all in love to the father. And so this is not competitive when they're in perfect unity. And so it's not becoming a God in the pantheon of competitive gods, but becoming God into the life of the Trinity. Yeah. You know, and even what you said before is like in the beginning, this is what we were made to be in the beginning. Uh, if you go back to the beginning, this is where things kind of get confusing because it seems like the, the sin of our first parents was that they wanted to become gods, right? This is what you were taught in uh, CCD and Catholic school and stuff like that. Um, 
But in fact, if you even back up before that, they were already made in God's image and in God's likeness. And the catechism even goes uh, on, on this point, says that man was destined to be fully divinized by God in glory. And so already made naturally in God's image and likeness, uh, our first parents and us along with them were to grow into that image and likeness yeah. uh, over, over time. Can I say something Dennis, didn't that? you talk about how... <laughs> I, I want to be careful how I phrase this. Um, so there are benefits to the fall in that we can participate in this process in a way that we couldn't have participated before. Oh, you might be thinking of the Ophelix culpa, a famous line, yes. of, oh, happy fault of Adam that yes, gained yes, for yes. us so great a savior. I mean, there's a lot of theological discussion about that. Would Christ have come incarnate anyway if the fall hadn't happened? And, you know, different medieval theologians and other theologians speculate about all of that stuff. So... In a way, you know, to have a great savior is better than to not need to be saved, right? So rejoice for the lost lamb who's returned from the other ones that never left. On the other hand, you can't say, well, it's a good thing we sinned. So there's always a little tension there. Um, but, you know, what What I wanted to mention uh, from from what you just said, Chris, is image and likeness is a, it's a big deal for me. I, we just discussed those words in the class I'm teaching here now called Sacramental Aesthetics. And people throw that around all the time. Oh, you're creating God's image and likeness. But nobody really thinks, what does that mean? I think I may have talked about this long, long ago when we talked about icons. Do you remember? Either of you remember the difference between the image and the likeness of God? Mm, you know, go so. ahead, Jesse. <laughs> no, no, I was going to let you start, Chris, since uh, you, know, you also... Well, I don't, I don't remember uh, from, the, from the icon discussion, but I think I remember from former classes that image often uh, meant that we had an intellect and will like God and mm -hmm. likeness had to do with his, uh, with his divine life. Is that the, right, Dennis? Uh, yeah. The image is um, our capacity to share in God's capacities, right? So God gives us capacities that he has, creativity. Um, reproduction, you know, artistic uh, um, abilities, intellect, will, love. So we can't have anything that God doesn't have. Now, we have things that rocks don't have, right? Rocks don't have locomotion or intellect or will or imagination or love. So human beings are considered, the, considered at the highest scale of participating in God's capital B being. However, we don't have it perfected. And this is what the likeness is. So a saint has the image of God, Satan participates in the image of God, right? Satan can run around and do things and think and do, you know, intellect and will, certainly at a high level, but not like God. So a saint shares in God's image, but also through grace and human will and effort uh, brought them to a high conformity to what God is like. And I think that's where we start to talk about theosis, is it's all gift from God, except now it has become so improved and so much like God's existence that it becomes almost inseparable with his perfection. Yeah, I think that word you used, gift, is the, is the, is the key there. Because, you know, in the beginning, uh, I mean, Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. But I think the difference was is they didn't want his... Uh, what did you say? His attributes, his, um, what's the word you used? His capacities. Uh, his capacities. They grasped at those uh, yes. capacities rather than receiving those capacities. And that, I think, is all the difference between uh, divinization and theosis and becoming God as God intended versus right. what got us into this uh, soup in the first place. And I think you can see the prodigal son story a little differently, right? 
the son, the father wants to give his son everything. The son's like, nope, I want it now. And he ruins it. He messes it up. And then when he finally turns back to his father and says, yeah, hey, I didn't do this right. The father welcomes him. But you can imagine one of your own kids saying, all right, dad, I'm not ready for you to I'm ready for you to die, you know? Just give me your my inheritance and <laughs> leave me alone. Or I demand that bicycle for my birthday. My kids can have my debt, I think. This, <laughs> this reminds, well, they're probably going to get yeah, it. There you go. <laughs> this, this reminds me of something my grandpa used to do. If uh, if my grandmother set out the, the dinner and he didn't get his silverware yet and would do the meal prayer or whatever, he would say, I can't eat this. And that, and him saying that meant he didn't have silverware. He like he literally could not <laughs> eat this. So he would say, "I can't eat this." And it's that thing. It's like, okay, we just you know, obviously we're gonna have silverware to eat the dinner. Just relax, you know. But it's Laura and my family. But that's kind of what you're saying, right? But yeah. I mean, you want to give your kids something for their birthday, but if they demand it from you, you would say something's wrong here, right? So wanting it waiting for it, loving God for giving it at the right time is great. Demanding it now, not so good. And then you yeah. set up yourself in opposition to the giver of gifts. Yeah, that, that's what, um, this is, I mean, all this, this is right out of the catechism here. Um, I mean, I, I, I want us to look at some of these uh, uh, patristic texts from the Office of Readings, but the catechism itself is very upfront about uh, our, our divine calling to become gods, to become divinized. But when it talks about uh, the sin, uh, it says that their sin wasn't then wanting to become God, but uh, they wanted it without God, before God, and not in accordance with God. So, Dennis, to your point, or you, Jesse, too, that you know you want to give your good, th your children good things, uh, and you, but you don't want them to receive it without you, before you, and not in accordance with you, as there's a right way to receive even the best things and a wrong way to do that. And uh, this uh, this way to become God uh, becomes uh, a source of great uh, catastrophe if we don't do it according to God's own design. And, and now, I mean, after the fall, this is what the Christmas seed, this is what everything is about. The Christian life is becoming divinized according to God's, we, we tried it our way and it didn't work. So bro, God's going to give us another chance and say, okay, this is how you're going to go about it. This is the Christian life of uh, the sacraments and the faith and the moral life and the virtues and the rest. Yeah. And do you know, Chris, uh, I'd, I'd have to talk to a more uh, educated theologian than myself on this, but did the incarnation change the ontology of human nature? Did it make it then capacitated to receive divine life or just increased its capacity or opened the way? Or how would you say that? Oh, that's a good question. I think you'd have to say no. I mean, because that would make Adam a different being or t type of being than you and I are and that That'd be problematic. So I, I, what did... Probably just made it easier. Well, what right? made it easier? Or no, or known, more known. Is the, is the question, did the incarnation change human capacity or the redemption, Dennis? Yeah, the fact what that is, Christ, that God brought humanity into the very realm of the two natures of humanity and divinity instead of being you know, separated. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what has changed? I don't think you could say there was an ontological change, but it might be the... Um, See, and that's, you know, what sin is, I think, uh, gosh, this is a long time ago in school. I mean, it, what is sin? It's an absence of something. I think Thomas says it's an absence of, of justice, something in there. And so sin, you know, doesn't change you. It, it takes something away from you, makes you less complete. I suppose with the, not, Dennis, you and I both 
<laughs> need to talk to a theologian um, uh, greater stature than either of us, stature than either of us. We need but. to talk to Darius Pisano, who wrote her doctoral dissertation on this. I know. I sort of think that you know, with the uh, with the coming of Christ and the uh, Paschal mystery, it just seems that grace is more available to us, and it's almost like you need the grace to accept the grace, and th then of course you need the grace so that you can accept the grace, so that you can accept the grace of salvation, and that seems wouldn't to this, me. Wouldn't this just be like mass, Chris? You know, you could have a valid mass without you know, a multitude of signs and symbols. But you could have kind of a fullness of mass with a, with a multitude of signs and symbols that allow us to more actively participate or to more efficiently active, uh, actively participate in the mass. Yes? Yeah, I think so. That, um, I mean, God was always free to do, uh, to operate according to his plan before the coming of Christ. But it seems like now that Christ has come, and uh, open the gates of heaven and given us grace. It's just that there's the, the, the number of opportunities for divinization uh, are, are everywhere that, than they would have been uh, prior to Christ, to Christ coming. Right. I think the way they describe it is there are two planes of human existence, nature and grace. And so grace uh, enables us to participate in the divine goodness, which is exactly what we're talking about here, you know, uniting divinity to humanity and bringing that image that we're talking about, the sharing in God's capacities, God's existence to a higher level. And that's probably what we call sanctification too, right? Sometimes we think sanctification is just the strength not to sin anymore. But if you think about it more than that, it's actually a change in your capacity to choose the good and live the good and participate in the good. And so uh, here we are. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, sometimes we think, uh, I mean, some non-Catholic visions of redemption are you remain in your rotten state and you just get kind of covered over by a blanket of grace or some such like that. Uh, but the Catholic view that the Eastern Church seems to appreciate more than the Western Church does is that, no, 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 the, this grace is um, is becoming is entering in you and elevating and perfecting your nature uh, to a degree that it truly resembles the image and likeness of God to such a degree that we come to, I think St. Athanasius says that we come to share in divinity by grace in the way that Christ shares in the divinity by nature. So that, yeah, that's that's your divinization right there. But I think that too few people um, really appreciate that, that, you know, the redemption was just a get out of jail free card, you know, or just leaving you in your rotten self uh, and, you know, can it give you a ticket to get into heaven? But it is so much more than that. It's it's meant to <laughs> it's meant to make you so fully alive that, uh, you know. It's, I, yeah. We set our sights too low sometimes. That's the iron plus fire image too, right? Do you know that? Is that Serenaeus, right? Iron plus fire? I, I don't know. You know, if you ever see a blacksmith working on a horseshoe or something and the metal is kind of dark and sooty and then he puts it in the coals and it's glowing, right? If it's hot enough, it might even glow white. It's still that earthly material, you know, sooty metal. But now something about it is different that it's radiating with the heat. And then you can think about your soul not becoming something else, but now radiating, fulfilling, living at its higher pitch of existence with the very energy of God's being. Now, that's an interesting thing. We tend to think, you know, God, um, creation, good, bad, but think about it on a sliding scale of being, 
fullness of being is God and you have lesser participations in being or more participation in being. And when we talk about divinization, we're talking about higher participation, higher sharing in God's very to be, his act of existence itself, which is what he gives us. And that's what his presence does, right? It confers that heat on us. Yeah. Hey, you know, but before we get too much farther, actually, before this podcast comes to an end, can I can I just read you some of these patristic texts, just so yeah. people don't take our words for it? Because again, I'll, it, I'll allow it. It's just, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> no, if anybody out there is like me, it's just like this, all this talk of becoming God, right? I mean, just your initial reaction is that's a bad thing. <laughs> In fact, you know, you know that line. Uh, what's one of the differences between uh, God and us? Is God never thinks he's us. <laughs> yeah. This is the joke you stole from uh, Chris. Did I? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Anyway. Yeah, hey, so th just consider these. All of these are from the church's liturgy. See, this is another good example of, you know, the church is trying to teach us things. You know, if we have eyes open and ears open and hearts open and things like that. This is not some far out obscure uh, gnosis that's buried in texts of medieval libraries and things. like These are on the books, in the books in the church's uh, liturgy today. So here's one. This is from uh, St. Athanasius on, on the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God on January 1st. He says, uh, by taking our nature and offering it in sacrifice, the word was to destroy it and completely and then invest it with his own nature. Right? So... Christ takes on our nature, destroys it, and then sort of invests it, that uh, replaces it in some ways with, uh, with his uh, own uh, nature. Here's uh, Blessed Isaac of Stella. This is from, oh, which one is that? So, second wing of Advent. Christ became the son of man and made many men sons of God. Pope Leo the Great on Christmas Day says, Christian, remember your dignity. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return by sin to your former base condition. There's a couple more. Bernard of Clairvaux, 12th century, says uh, uh, of the Christmas gift that Christ has given us a most wonderful proof of his goodness by adding humanity to his own divine nature. St. Augustine, one last one. This is uh, from Saturday after Epiphany. Simply, and this is very much like uh, Athanasius, God became man so that man, man can, become, can God. become God. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, the liturgy guys have not gone off the rails, or maybe they have, <laughs> but not in this uh, capacity. Listen to the liturgy and uh, begin to appreciate what God has made us to become. You know, the world is so, <laughs> everybody's probably just so beaten down by things by now. You know, uh, all the world events of the last few years, but there's such a glorious uh, vocation for everybody in Christ that is so far beyond, you know, the, the doldrums of this present age that uh, this is what the church needs now is uh, men and women fully alive. And in case people don't like testimony of saints, you know, those patristic folks, you can actually look to the scriptures themselves, right? Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, uh, we with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Unveiled face, right? Remember, you'd like to tell that story, right? Chris of Moses going to 
see God, and then he comes down, his face is glowing, and everybody's freaked out, and they have to mm-hmm. put a veil on him. Mm-hmm. Who can look at the face of God and live? Well, he's we saying, have to put a veil over Chris's face for the same reason. Yeah, that's true <laughs> enough. <It's, laughs> just can't look that, at him. That's a little personal, Jesse. But, it's um, the reason this is a podcast <laughs> and not a YouTube channel. <laughs> we are being transformed into the same image, into the face of God, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So, And also Second Peter, I don't know, this one's quite explicit. Um He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Bam. Can it be uh, same thing? That's uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that's the answer, right? God doesn't want us to be groveling forever. He wants us to know who we are, who we're not, so that we can receive properly the gifts he wants to give us. But he wants to give us his own nature. Well, you know, isn't that then... You know, to end this with the liturgy, we looked at these texts that came out of the liturgy, but, you know, being properly disposed to receive is, I think, what, how you just put it, Dennis. I mean, th- this is the nature of going to the liturgy, right? We think that the, litur- the church's liturgical problems are, you know, because of uh, the pope, the bishops and the priests, because they're doing something wrong. And to be sure, they've got their own sort of ministers have their own issues going on. But I think a a big problem, maybe even the larger problem, is that the baptized are not properly disposed to receive the great gift of divinization that God is trying to, it's that image of trying to drink through a fire hose, right? You know, God is trying to uh, pour grace upon us and in us, you know, as if through a fire hose, but we just, you know, don't open our mouths or can't open them wide enough or don't want it or whatever it is. And so, you know, you go to mass and you leave mass, eh, pretty much the same. Don't get anything out of it and stuff like that. Well, there's a great disposition that I think the the lay faithful really need to work on if uh, they're going to meet this goal of becoming God. Right. In fact, that quote from Second Peter I was just speaking about says, uh, he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, how can you receive something if you don't know? Later on, it says, uh, for this reason, applying in all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In other words, kind of live this. Live this um, once you get the gift. I always like to take things back to the old father. I mean, I, I don't have kids, right? You, you're both fathers, right? But you can imagine you want to give everything you have to your kids. But if they're not ready, if they're not, they don't know what it is, you know, you're not going to, well, you, Chris, give guns to your little <laughs> up there in Wisconsin. <laughs> After serious training, I, I reckon. Isaac has a Nerf gun. Yeah. Okay. They're close <laughs> enough. But, you know, if they're not ready, you're not going to give it. If they don't want it, you're not going to force it on them. So how do you become divinized? Well, the first step is know what you're receiving. If you were going to get it, you have to be responsible and ready and then show your worthiness by living it. And then, you know, to to whom much is – what is the line to whom more – much is given, more is given. Something like that. Much has been given. Is expected. Isn't that even, Spider-Man? Even more will come. No. no that's <laughs> <laughs> but there is that. Spider-Man is a Christ image in some ways. Um, no. Uh, the, what is the Spider-Man thing? Oh, my gosh. I just Spider-Man, And I just saw the new Spider-Man. one. And I, but... Uh, Anyway, Our audience is probably have to yelling wait. at us right now. You get now, the point. Yeah. From Practice, the sublime well, to the mundane. <laughs> Practice your well, heavenliness on earth. I want to say, because I've had these types of conversations with people at conferences or you know small speaking sessions or things like that, and two common responses that I get from people, is it's usually one, one or the other. The first response is, oh, that's heretical. Like, you can't say that. I can't 
you know, I'm not, that's not me, you know. And then the other, and along the same vein, but the other response is just this immediate uh, of like, I am unavailable to that. Like, I am so imperfect and I am so broken that that is just way, way out of my, my realm and out of my league. And so, those, like, I think that's telling about our culture and about, you know, where we are and who we are. Um, you know, one response is like, oh, that's overly self-righteous. And the other response is like, no, that couldn't possibly be me. There's, there's no way. I'm wondering if you guys could maybe tackle one of those. Yeah, well, how did you learn to use the toilet when you were whatever age? What age do you uh, How old are you, Jesse? <laughs> I do not want to reveal. On Don't give podcast. up, Jesse. There's still hope for you. Let me say this. I was born in the 1900s. Okay. That's what, the, that's, what, that's what people are saying today. You were born in the 1900s. Yeah. But, I mean, a little kid, well, I don't know. How old are kids when you potty train them? 12 months, 18 months, something like that? Anywhere from, you know, some people as early as, uh, you know, nine months a year to... You know, Isaac is still body trading and he's almost five. Well, there you go. So different people do different uh, timelines, but little by little, right? Don't think of it as I must suddenly be transformed into the this heights of excellence, but think of a, I like to think of a, um, a dimmer switch on a light, right? You just turn the knob a little bit brighter one day, a little bit brighter the next day, a little bit brighter the next day. Before you know it, over a year, that's a lot of brightness. And I don't think God expects miracles from us, but... He's willing to give us the strength we need to to grow into his glory, and there's no reason to think he wouldn't, right? God is not an angry father. He has perfect control of whatever you his emotions are. They're not emotions like in our sense, uh, his desire for justice. And so uh, there's no reason to be afraid of God. Uh, my spiritual director said once, um, remorse is from God, shame is from the devil. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right, because Adam and Eve ran and hid from God in shame. And he said, where are you? And he's, they're hiding. They're not letting him heal them. Remorse is, oh, yeah, I did something wrong. Let me go get healed. So there's no reason ever to run in shame. But that doesn't mean you don't have remorse. Yeah. Yeah, I think, Jesse, I, the, the first thing is just uh, teaching your kids or those in your care, you know, th- what God has made them to be. Too few people know that. Again, I think if you said God has made you to be God, most Catholics would disagree with that. Now, you're, you're not meant to be a fourth person of the Trinity or anything like that, but God has meant you to share in his own divine nature to be absolutely fully alive. And that's, that's a secret that's too well kept, uh, especially here in the, in the Western church. So I, I would want my kids to know, in fact, that before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to make sure they do know that, that this is what God has called them to be. And he has given you the means to go about it through the life of virtue and through the properly, the proper reception of the sacraments. I mean, God's not keeping you from being a saint. I mean, you are. I am. I am. <laughs> All right, so. And you're keeping me from being a saint. Yeah, Both yeah, of you. Yeah. So. Anyway. But if you think awesome about it thing. this way, we're already created in the image and likeness of God. We already share in his capacities, and we're already to some degree conformed to his perfection. Mm-hmm. This is just turning it up from five to... Uh, 11. 11, baby. Thanks, right? Jesse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, well, it's like they say in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. I had to look it up. Yeah, okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> So think about the power God's given us to become like him, to harm each other, to grow in holiness or grow in vice. So we have the capacities already to be like God. And it's just bring it to the highest level that uh, the size of our glass will let it be full, right? That's just being the best at what we already are through the grace of God. All right. Mm -hmm. 
Bam. Should we answer a, a liturgy question, probably? Let's answer uh, two. <laughs> Just what? Oh, hey, okay. nobody said White Castle, Chris. Uh, Come on. <laughs> Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Our question this week Our question this week comes from Andrew. Andrew says, "Why is champagne not an acceptable form of wine for the altar? You can make champagne without sugar and additives, so why would this not be acceptable?" Mm. Good question. It doesn't seem to violate the chemical features of wine. Mm. But the Dennis, and yeah. No, that's a great question. Uh the at, at bottom, the the answer is because it's not wine. But it is champagne. It's just wine with bubbles. No, it's not. Wine with bubbles is no is not wine. <laughs> it's well, it's sparkling. Yeah, Chris water. told me this uh, this uh, little uh, sparkling water was it's not water. Not water. On. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's um. Yeah, we we get to um. See the th- the thing is the the church thinks not necessarily chemically molecularly or scientifically with regard to her celebrations, but sacramentally. And so I've seen this line often, um, including from Cardinal Rat- then Cardinal Ratzinger, is uh, that which constitutes valid matter is what is that which is in the, the common estimation considered to be wine. Okay. In the common estimation. So if it looks like wine, smells like wine, tastes like wine, that is what is valid matter. Um, but port, uh, brandy, I don't drink a lot of, I don't drink a lot of anything. So I don't know. Uzo, isn't Uzo made from grapes? The Greek yeah, I don't know. Uh, liquor. Yeah. See, but all those things, even though uh, at a chemical level, uh, they might appear to be the same on the sort of sacramental level. They're not signifying wine. And that's why they are invalid matter. So champagne is champagne. It's not wine. You know, to you the know, same degree, same degree, like with the chrism oil. What if you used avocado oil and put balsam in it? Well, for that, that it's uh, any plant based oil. So oh, I suppose you okay. could actually use. Uh, but wine is not any grape-based drink, right? So, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, your 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 kid's high C f- juice box or something you leave in <laughs> that he leaves in the car or something like that. It's got the the grapes. It's got some sugars. It's starting to ferment things like that. But that doesn't <laughs> oh, even though it might look oh, the, the same. But that's that's at the key is that one is wine and the other is not. And what determines what is wine and what is not is generally that which in the common estimation is wine. So it's not a scientific uh, uh, determination. Now, this gets tricky when you get into uh, low gluten hosts or mustum or something like that, because then the church has to think differently and express that thinking differently. Then she has to talk about parts per million and percentage of alcohol and things like that and suspended fermentation and whatnot. But that's a little, that's not generally her her view of faith, uh, it doesn't mean she's against science or, or contrary to science or not interested in science, but in her liturgical celebration is a sacramental type of medium. And that's what uh, carries the day. So bottom line, champagne is champagne. 
and it's not wine, and that's why it's not valid material, no mm. matter what it might look like under the microscope. You missed a band name there, Jesse. What? Suspended fermentation. Band Some, name oh, right yeah. There. Oh, that is a good yeah, one. You got it. Nice. All right, Andrew, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse, Y-O-Y-O Weiler. Our producers are Michael, Don't Be So Coy, and Nathan, First Round Draft Pippin. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. guys.